Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. <clears throat> thank you, Lord, that you are leading us and guiding us one step at a time. And that as we continue to seek you, as we continue to study, revelation is ours. Revelation, knowledge, wisdom, and application is ours. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, yeah, because I remember we left off in a very precarious place and had to start up in a very precarious place. Verse 8. Yeah, yes, that is right. The role of men in leading prayer when the church gathers. Okay, so what's what's everybody else's views? <laughs> going going for the uh, safe way out. Um, we have to remember the day. The day was um, the day was uh, first century. Israel, the culture. Uh, these guys, though, are in Ephesus, so that's that's Greek culture. Um, what's happening? The the newfound freedom. Remember when we talked about Ephesus and when everybody got saved? All of a sudden, there was just all this freedom, and they started to and and uh, the church in Corinth uh, went wild, you know, and uh, but and people were trying to figure this all out, and. Paul, all the way through the New Testament, was always about, let's bring this into order. Because, you know, and, and we know from recent uh, history that in revivals, wild stuff happens. You know, interesting, cool stuff happens, but it's also not always in control. And trying to keep order without squel squelching the spirit is really important. And especially among new believers. Now, why is Timothy leaving, or why is Paul leaving Timothy in Ephesus? What was the reason he's leaving him there? Keep word. And what what was happening there? Yeah, a lot of new believers and they were doing wacky stuff, and, and they were having problems. Right. Uh, it, it wasn't bec everything in, in that we've read so far is is Paul saying. Timothy, I need you to stay there. Here's why I need you to stay here. I know you don't want to. I know it's hard. You've got a couple some people who are against what we're doing here. Um, but I need you to stay there. I need this to be uh, something. Uh, you need to stay even though you don't want to. And don't give me any more excuses. Um, you need to stay here. And so, um, so there's problems. And so they're trying to get a handle on the problems. Well... One of the problems going into verse 8 is he, he sees this. I desire, verse 8 of chapter 2, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair or and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly and in all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, and became a transgressor. 
So even the fact that he brought it up means there was a problem. It wasn't he wasn't just arbitrarily saying, "Oh, and by the way, keep the women under submission." Some submission. No, something was going on. We don't have uh, any other corroborating evidence other than whenever Paul pointed something out, there was a problem. He didn't point this out, interestingly enough, in some of the other places. So it wasn't that he it was you know he was on some kind of a bandwagon and he was just making sure that all the women stay in line. No, it sounds like in Ephesus something was going on. Something was happening there that really wasn't happening anywhere else. But hey, we need to deal with that. And Timothy, remember, remember, we got to deal with that. Um, but what ha- has happened with that is people have taken that and run to where oh that's it you know women you just can't do anything. I, I, I grew up in a church. I grew up in a church where women could not even teach. Sunday school. They could not be in any kind of leadership in any way. Um, we, uh, it then over the years loosened up and, and they, you know, I mean, I mean, think about this. Why would you want to tie the hands of 50% of your congregation or more? You know, I mean, the, the 70% of your congregation. Why would you want to do that? And we see all the way through the New Testament, well, at least through the book of Acts, that there were all kinds of women who ministered. There were all kinds of women who were anointed, who prophesied, who, you know what, when, when you read about Priscilla and Aquila, well, Priscilla was the wife's name and Aquila was the husband's name. And they were ministers. They were traveling ministers and they were, they were kind of wherever Paul wasn't, they were. You know, they, 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 you, you hear about them interchanging and then he talks about them and, and is, you know, at one point met them. And if we go by the tradition of the day, um, whenever you describe somebody, you always named the most important person first. And he named Aquila before he named Priscilla. And so, I'm sorry, he, it was Pris- at first it was Aquila and Priscilla, and then it switched partway through the book of Acts, where it was whenever they were introduced, it was Priscilla and Aquila which more than likely means she was the teacher of the group. She was the, not the leader per se, but the, she was the one who predominantly ministered when they got together, when, when they were ministering. So this isn't about trying to, to set a precedence across the board of, that's it, women, you can't be a part of the church. Just sit there and learn quietly and don't do anything. No, there was some kind of, there was something going on. There was some kind of, of discord uh, that you know because it was Ephesus and it was you remember we talked about it was the trade routes and it was also wasn't it the wasn't Ephesus the one that had the uh, the uh, uh, temple to one of the gods where it was temple of Diana yeah the, the 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 temple prostitutes so there's probably women who are coming out of that lifestyle who you know they just they got saved and they that's what they wore you know uh, we went to my brother's church out when he was in Las Vegas. The one where he rededicated his life, um, we went to a Wednesday night service, and at the Wednesday night service, people were coming from work or going to work. And this is Las Vegas, so a number of the women came into the service in their cocktail waitress uniforms. Uh, one guy came in in a clown uniform, in a clown suit, <laughs> and I thought he was part of the children's ministry. My brother goes, "No, he works for Circus Circus." You know, I mean, it's so these people were kind of coming through. Well, you know, they, they, they get saved, they, they, they don't, you know, they, they are, they're excited about God, they're coming to church, they're coming to meetings, 
but they haven't yet gotten to the point where they figured out the modesty part and the you know. So Paul is giving some guidelines for that. Um, also, the Temple of Diana was a, a was a female led cult, and so they came out of that um, out of that world, and they had to be shown. No, wait a second. There there is an order here. I believe that men should predominantly lead, run, and, and do things within the church. I think that's the proper order. That doesn't negate women. That doesn't negate women in leadership. <clears throat> but I think predominantly men should be the ones in leadership. Um, so that's what's going on here with this. Something must have been going on. There was cultural things happening that they needed to work on. Um, but, like I say, I grew up in a church where women couldn't teach. Well, then... They kind of loosened up, and, and they mainly because they had to. They didn't have enough men teachers to teach, so they, well, let's let women teach. They were teaching Sunday school classes. But I remember one summer, we, we would have these traveling you know, evangelists slash uh, vacation Bible school folks that would come around. They always had this great big camper they pulled in, and they parked in the church parking lot. And they came in. And the, on Saturday, set up their, their stuff, and we were supposed to run all week long. And they ministered Saturday morning, or Sunday morning, and they were gone Monday morning. And the pastor had to send out a message to everybody, hey, we're going to do something different for vacations and Bibles. And everybody's like going, what happened to the people? And he says that they saw women teaching in the, in the Sunday school class, packed up their stuff, and left. And it was like, really? <laughs> I mean, hello. So... It, was that the, church that you grew up in? the one I grew up in, yeah, Southern Minnesota. It was a very conservative Baptist church. Yep. And so, you know, th- this church though was funny because um, when Billy Graham came to town in it would have been nineteen. Not, no, 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 way before that. Oh. Uh, I'm talking seventies when the movie, the movie, uh, uh, Not Alone, No Longer Alone. If you remember that movie, it was an evangelistic, it was the first evangelistic movie he produced. When that came out, they, they booked it into the movie theater. Well, our church had to have a council meeting to vote whether we should endorse actually going to a movie. Because up until then, you know, you, we were not allowed to go to movies. But we were also not supposed to play cards, and my folks played cards every Friday night and Saturday night and with their friends. But... Uh, yeah, it was very, extremely conservative. So very different than what we, you know. The kids, kids couldn't dance. Kids couldn't. Dance in school or anything like that, you know. They had, because I grew up in the same kind of a church. Mm-hmm. Um, women were allowed to teach in Sunday school, but you had to have your children under control at all times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the, you know if, there, if there was you had to have gym class, you had to get on, you get it. Notice from the, the leader, the, the minister in the church saying, no, you know, please excuse them from dance class and mm-hmm. please excuse them from swimming and all this other stuff. So, yep. you know, it was... And no saxophone. Yeah, exactly. That was, that's the devil's instrument right there. <laughs> but uh, when, they, when, when our church had their 100th anniversary or something, so this was back in the 70s, and, uh, they were reading through some of the, the uh, board minutes during one of the services and one of them was they had a uh, church vote and decided that uh, they, they came out publicly against the circus coming to town. And, uh, you know, so it's just, it was one of those old-fashioned 
a lot of kids from those churches revolt. I mean, they just turn against church. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah, I, I hit the ground running. It's <laughs> too strict. It is too strict. Yep. Well, we never followed the rules back then. I mean, even while we were going to the church, we didn't follow the rules, you know, but it was one of those deals. And that's that's where you learn to become a hypocrite, you know. You learn to say the right things in church and then go out and live whatever life you wanted to live, you know, and that that's just wrong, you know. I mean, it's, I mean, we know that's wrong. So, but in this situation, something was going on. We don't agree. We really don't know. We can kind of hypothesize. It certainly wasn't that Paul was against women, not in any way, shape, or form. So, um, but people have taken it that way. All right. Paul makes it clear. Uh, it is assumed that men should take the leadership within a congregation, since the lifting of hands was a common posture of prayer in ancient cultures. This text speaks of men publicly leading prayer. Men representing the congregation before God's throne. Um, he says in verse 9 and 10, women should emphasize spiritual preparation and beauty more than physical preparation and beauty. More than likely had a direct correlation to the whole Diana worship and the, the, the temple prostitutes and all that sort of stuff back then. And I'm sure it was a metropolitan area. It was it, They were very much into fashion. You know, it was it was the... It was the trade routes of the of the Greek and Roman world, and so fashion was huge. Uh, you know, just a lot of earthly, you know, a lot of worldly type things that they put first, rather that you know, and they had to get those things back into order. All right. Oh, I don't want to keep talking about this, but here's the notes. Um, it says that a woman should learn in silence. I, I know some folks who go to a church right now where the men sit on one side of the room, women sit on the other, and there's a veil that goes down between the, the two rooms, and the women can't talk uh, during service. They have to wear a veil over their head while the service is going on. So, I mean, there are still... Take them out on the street. <laughs> you know, you wonder. And I, and I know some of the women in that church, and I go, how do you like that? And they go, yeah, whatever. You know, you do what you got to do. You know, and And... Their husbands treat them very well. It's not that they're, you know, but it's just, it is a different way. They take this part extremely literally. And without putting it into the cultural context of something was going on, something out of the norm, because he didn't say this to the Romans, he didn't say it to the Colossians, I don't, I'm pretty sure, didn't say it to the Philippian church. So <clears throat> if it was something that was a biblical mandate that he felt like the whole church needed to do it, it would have been in all those other places. Because there are things that are in all the books. Talking about living a holy life and and loving and, you know, I mean, those are all the way through. This is in one place, talking about it specifically. Something was going on there. Something above and beyond. But that's what can happen if we don't take the whole counsel of the word and instead of just a passage or whatever. Okay. And that's the, the last note um, here in this, the, the part that I was, this uh, oh, commentary, is the, the cultural challenge must be seen in its true context, not just a struggle between men and women, but a struggle with the issue of authority in general. 
Since the 1960s, there's been a massive change in the way we see and accept authority. Citizens do not have the same respect for government authority. Students do not have the same respect for teachers' authority. Women do not have the same respect for men's authority. Children do not have the same respect for parental authority. Employees don't have the same respect for employers' authority. People do not have the same respect for the police's authority. And Christian no long, Christians no longer have the same respect for church authority. And we do see that. That, that is a problem in the world. Um, it's, it is the reason that I'm a, a pastor and not a teacher. I mean, you know, obviously God could have w- was directing me all the way along, but my degree was in teaching. And I student taught at a junior high in, in Bloomington, Minnesota, and within two days knew that I was not a teacher. I just, I could not handle the disrespect. I couldn't, I, I just, I, I expected some form of, of respect and honor and, you know, it, I, was, I was fully expecting kids to be kids, but this, this was something much different. I said, no, there's no way. There's no way I would ever put, subject myself to that. And that was also God then fine-tuning the direction of my life because, you know, we end up here. But there is a lack of authority in the world today. And it's been getting worse um, uh, all the way along. Um, my, uh, it, just looking at from when I was a kid, you know, if we ever got in trouble with, at school, we also got in trouble at home. It, there was no question. It wasn't, it wasn't about, you know, well, I wonder if the teacher was wrong. My folks assumed I was wrong. I mean, they just... And even if I wasn't, you know, even if I wasn't wrong, they assumed I was wrong, <laughs> and so it's just there was no question. And then that respect then transfers down throughout society. So, all right, the failure of men to lead in the home and in the church, and to lead the way Jesus would lead, has been a chief cause of the rejection of male authority. And it is it is inexcusable. The the fact that and that is the main problem today is not that women usurp the authority; it's that men don't step into the places that they should. Men need to really need to be the ones who lead. They lead to lead in the home. They need to lead, and they they are born to be leaders. That's Adam was created to be a leader. And if when he didn't lead, that was the problem. He didn't. It was his fault that his wife uh, ate the fruit, and because when Satan came and said, "Well, didn't God say?" and she goes, "Well, he said he couldn't even touch it." Well, that's not what God said. God said, "Don't eat of the fruit." Um, so Adam hadn't told her exactly what God had said, and he wasn't guarding that. He wasn't enforcing that, and. Then, when she did eat of the fruit, he didn't say, no, I'm not going to do this, and we're going to go to God, and we're going to deal with this. I believe that it would have been completely different. Um, mankind, I don't believe, was, was destined to uh, sin nature until Adam did it. And when Adam ate the fruit, then that, because the Bible says that sin passes down from the father, the sins of the father unto, his, unto the sons to many generations. And so, um, and that's the reason Jesus could be born of a woman, but not of a man. 
was because the sin nature didn't pass through the woman it passed because of the but because of the father <clears throat> that's why his father had to be god because he was then sinless he was born without a sin nature so a lot of theological soup there to to swim through but there is it was a lack of leadership from from adam that caused the problem and that's where that's why uh, it even says. I think we talked about it last week in in, in Genesis that part of the curse that it was his wife would desire his leadership role. I mean, it doesn't say exactly that, but that's what theologians have have uh, interpreted what that phrase that your heart will desire. Oh, see, I'll have to look it up. Let's look it up. Genesis three. We said it last week, but. Genesis 3. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Yes, that was the curse that was placed on her. The, the your desire shall be for your husband actually can be, can be, it should be translated, your, your desire shall be for your husband's authority, or against your husband. So, the the idea is not that she's oh longing for him you know be, you know you're you're the the curse was that you will you will desire your husband that's an interesting curse but that that's because that's not what that means what it means is that it says that the that the woman's curse is that she will she will want his authority but when he won't do it she will then try to usurp that authority and that's I've seen that in marriages. I've seen that in my own marriage. I've seen, you know, but I mean, Deb is awesome. But it's not, it's just a, if a man won't lead, somebody needs to, and a woman will do it. And that's not how God set it up. All right. I was going to say, you go to the uh, Muslim church, whatever they call it, Madrasan. Mm-hmm. I was the one in Minneapolis when I followed Keith Ellison. Mm-hmm. And it was like, men are here, women are totally out of the picture. Yep. Seems like a large waste of talent. Well, it's the, you know, it's that culture, you know, it's that Middle Eastern culture. Mm hmm. Amazing women take it. Mm hmm. I know a lot of women that would not take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, it's, you know, it's been used to abuse, right. and it's wrong. It's not, that's not, that's not what it was for. Because Paul also says there is no male, there is no female. You know, in Christ, there is no male or female. There isn't a hierarchy of, of, uh, holiness, you know, or, but that sort of deal. So. That one is better than the other. Different roles, right? Exactly. Different roles. Absolutely. All right. Any questions about that? Anything anybody want to stone me for on that one? Well, it makes sense. People get bent out of shape about that, but you take it in terms of the cultural context, yep. which never gets explained. Mm-hmm. Well, even even the submission and authority a husband over a wife in a marriage situation um, is completely been taken out of context. And the fact is, is that what God says, okay, somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody needs to lead. If you don't know, I was just having a, a, a conversation with a, with a church leader, and not, not our church, but another church's leader, and we were talking about if no one takes charge, then 
nope, then the, everybody is confused. I mean, there's somebody, yeah, there's chaos. Somebody has to lead on a football field when a quarterback is, is running, you know, and the team all of a sudden you can see they just get disoriented and they start doing crazy things. It's because the, the quarterback has, has not taken control of the, of the, of what's happening on the field. Um, you know, it happens with captains of, of different things in battle. You know, if the commanders are not leading and taking that leadership role, and it's a clear, defined leadership role, there's chaos. And so the same thing in a family, somebody has to take that role, and God has said, man was created to do that. And if he won't, there's going to be chaos in the family. And and the, the husbands are going to be responsible whether the wife did or did, you know, took over from there or didn't. The husband is responsible for that. It's the way God set it up. But... You know, and so when we, we get uh, into Ephesians, those places where it says husbands or wives submit to your husbands. But then right after that it says husbands love your wives. And love is more important than submission. And, you know, it's it, we are not off the hook. We don't just, hey, we get to be in charge here. No, I'm going to be judged more severe, severely whether I loved my wife rather than as, did she submit to me. And submission is a response to love is a response to to um, uh, working together and and respect and honor and all those cherishing and all those things that go on. Okay, let's get off of that. That's such a scary topic. And my wife isn't here again today, so you can see we're having lunch. My wife left me this week. She's in sunny Florida till Saturday. With her parents. I miss her already. I miss you, sweetheart. If you listen to this. Happy Valentine's Day. I'll pick you up on Saturday. Okay, moving right along. Qualifications for overseers. Because that's really what, what Paul put in there for, was to take care of the stuff that was going on at the church, correct the things that were wrong, but to, to put leaders over the church. And to put people into those positions who can then keep it going down the right road. And he gave uh, Timothy some qualifications for that. So, um, verse 1. The saying, this or the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by the outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So, overseers. Uh, never, another word, I believe that word is... Um, uh, Thinking of the Greek word, I will get there in a second. It takes me a little while with Greek. It is the same thing as elders. 
can't think of that. Can't think of the Greek word. Yours says, says bishop. Yep. It's it's a pardon. That's what mine says. That's what yours says too. Um, but what it is is the person who runs the church, and it's 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 the people who ran the church: overseers, bishops, uh, pastors. It's it's he's saying we're going to put somebody in charge who is running the church, leading the church, not just running the church because the the uh, um, uh, the deacons do a lot of the running of the church. I mean, we don't have those those names here. We don't have uh, uh, overseers or bishops or or uh, elders uh, or or deacons. We have the pastors who are running the church. They they oversee the different ministries of the church. They're making sure the day to day. They you know we we do those things, and so. Our lives have to be an exemplify or and exemplify these characteristics, and we as we read through them, we can see. Well, of course, you know you don't want somebody who's greedy running the church because you you, you know I mean obviously there's a lot there's money that's that's being used there's money that's the things that are going on. Um, they need to be uh, um, self controlled, respectable. If you have somebody who's flying off the handle all the time. Uh, losing it on people, yelling at people, chewing them up. Well, obviously, that's not that's no way to, to run a family, let alone a church. Um, Episcopos. Episcopos. That's it. Um, the Episcopos meant is, is a is a well leadership. It's it's basically meaning leadership, right? Is that what the, what's the Greek definition? Okay. Yeah, if Blue Letter Bible is really good. Um, it says, uh, overseer, supervisor, ruler, especially used with reference to the supervising function exercised by an elder or presbyter of a church or congregation. Presbyter is the other word I was trying to think of, but it still doesn't give us the clear. It's it's the ones who run the church. And the way we do it here at River Valley is the pastors do that. The The pastors oversee, the pastors run, you know, are in charge of things. Our leaders meeting. We have we have a group of leaders that the 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 leaders of the ushers, the leaders of the sound team, the Jamie, the leader of the word, the worship leader, um, the different ministries of the church would be then considered deacons. People that that in most other churches they that's who the deacons are. We don't call them deacons uh, mainly because I can never get that joke out of my head. And, and you know how do you know if a church is deacon deacon possessed? And so uh, I just, ever since I had heard that, I was like, oh, I can't call anybody deacons anymore because I'm just, I start laughing if I. Um, so, overseer, uh, sober minded, self controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, quarrel, not quarrelsome, lover of money, husband of one wife. I, I, I almost made a pastor choke on his own heart one time. When I said okay, and I just come back to the Lord, and I was meeting with this pastor, and and he, and I said, hey, I was reading something today, and I have a question for you. It says, it says therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Well, if I don't want to be an overseer, can I have more than one wife? And the pastor, uh, um, uh, and I, I said, no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. He didn't think that was funny. All right, now that was the Baptist pastor. So. Basically, the, the overseer has to be above, you know, he has to have some stuff going for him. He has to, 
have some things figured out, not not trying to figure it out. I mean, I'll, we're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to, to do this. But when it says that not someone who is a recent convert, you know, everybody wants to be in charge. Everybody, you know, people always have good ideas. Everybody, everybody has great ideas until you put them into practice and, and you work through them. But somebody, you know, there's, there's certain situations where, where people who are, have issues in their own life, they bring their issues to the church. And that's great. We need to deal with our issues in church, but not as the leadership. The leadership should have some things figured out um, and, and you know, not be struggling with all the basic stuff. It took me years. I, I thought I was ready to lead, you know, six months into coming back to the Lord. And somebody said to me, no, you're not ready. And I was so offended. Oh, I was so offended. You know? <laughs> and and I look back now, and then pff, I wasn't even close. You know, you just you just don't know. I mean, there's things in your life, things that you don't, that God's dealing with, things, habits, uh, mindsets, so on and so forth. And you know, obviously, not that pastors have it all figured out, because the more I hear about, more the more I know myself, and the more I hear about other pastors, wow, we're all dealing with stuff. You know, we we still have things. But, theoretically, we should have some of those things figured out. Um, and that may be a reason why, remember the two guys, I was at Hymenaeus and the two guys that were given Paul trouble in chapter 1. Uh, Hymenaeus and... Alexander. When the, that may be why those guys were giving him trouble. They probably got put into leadership too quickly and wanted to be in leadership, but they didn't have their doctrine figured out yet. Because he was saying they're teaching things that, that should not be taught. And so um, it's important that whoever is a, is a leader within the church, so then you know that's that, that level of leadership. Pastors, the, 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 the person running the church needs to have that as the standard of their lives. But then you read the deacons, the next level of leadership, the, the ministry leaders, the, the people who are serving the people. It's the same list. It may be a little bit different order. It may be said a little bit different. So starting with verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be t- tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So that level of leadership This is the exact same job description. So what he's saying is, really the church needs to be mature. And your leaders need to be the maturest of them all. You you need to have people who are living lives that are together, that are are exemplifying the Christian values, exemplifying uh, purity of, of spirit, good doctrine, good good leadership, and so on and so forth. Now, the interesting thing, so that's, that's that job description that, that you know, I deal with all the time. 
in, in dealing with churches and church leadership and, and, and advising people on what they should do and, you know, and how they should do it. We always talk about these leadership roles. Hey, are they, are they doing this? Is this how they're living their life? We talk to each other as pastors. Are we doing this? Is there, is, is there anything here that, that we need to work on, that we need to deal with? And, but the neat thing is, go back all the way back to the, be, the beginning of chapter 3. It says in verse 1, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be. And it goes through the list. Do you notice that it doesn't say anyone who is called to the office of an overseer, they should be like this? No, it says anyone who aspires. So, you know, people talk all the time, well, you know, I was called into the ministry. I was this, I was that. that that's a little bit deceiving, that there has to be some sort of a divine inspiration, divine calling, that some kind of an event has to happen where you know this is who God's called me to be. Um, some people do experience that, absolutely. That you know this some but it's usually an event that that really leads them into that leadership role. For me it wasn't necessarily like that. It wasn't some event. It wasn't a uh, you know a moment, you know, an epiphany. <clears throat> It was, it was, I always knew that I had a gifting to do this, to, to lead and to, to do this. And I, and I had a heart to do it. I wanted to do it. Ever since I was a, a kid, I you know, grew up in the church, was in youth groups, and, and I would always help the leader, or, or I was asked to lead groups even as a teenager. I started Bible studies in my ninth grade class. Uh, in, in, in the public school. I went to the principal and had a meeting with the principal and said, I want to start a Bible study before school. He goes, as long as you run it, I don't care what you do. So, I mean, so things like that, I mean, I just, I kind of, yeah, I just, I, I was, I just kind of wanted to do that. I always did. And it wasn't ever, a, you know, some epiphany. So you can have that and have a desire to do it but then you have to let God do it. You know, you don't walk into a church and say, "Hey, just let you know, I'm leadership. I'm, not, I'm leadership quality right here." You know, <clears throat> if you need anything led, excuse me. <clears throat> if you need anything led, I'm your guy. You know, that's not how you do it. I mean, I and I and I had enough understanding to know that if you want to lead, then you serve. That's the that's the path. Of leadership, and so when I first went to Abundant Life Church over in River Falls, I asked uh, pa- Pastor Dan asked me if I wanted to work with the youth group. I told him I said I actually need some time off from the youth because I had been working with the youth in Southern Minnesota with Youth for Christ, and I said, "Yeah, I'm going to take a year off of that. I just, you know, I need to kind of clear my head of that." And <clears throat> had some issues down there where not sin, nothing. Just I had a leader down there who was very demanding, and I just. I was kind of burnt out on somebody expecting me to take my time off every moment of every opportunity to be there instead of, you know, hey, I want to spend time with my wife tonight. I haven't seen my wife in three days. I think I, you know, husband of one wife, that doesn't just mean you have a wife, but you, 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 have a, you, you treat her, I mean, you have a family. 
And I said, you know, I need to be with my wife tonight. And the guy chewed me out. And I said, I'm done. I said, that my family comes first. Well, were you there when it was Community of Saints? Or were yep. you after the- oh, I, was, I was there during Community of Saints. Yep. My brother was there then. Oh, really? Uh, what was his name? Stuart Anderson. Jam. Boy, you know, I was going to college. I was going to college during a lot of that, you know, oh. so I was very okay. here and there. I didn't know everybody, but yeah, okay. <clears throat> 88 is when I first started coming. And so he'd asked me to work with the youth, and I said, you know, I'm going to take some time off. And I said, is there anything else you need done? Because I'll do anything. I just don't want to work. I don't want to subject myself to that. I, just, I wasn't ready to do it. And he goes, well, anything you want to put your hands to? And so I started asking around who needed help. Well, my first job in the church was making tapes, making, you know, make, making cassette tapes of, uh, of services uh, after the service. And you just started doing it. You know, you, you, you put your hand to something, you start serving. I wasn't leading, I wasn't even leading that area. I was working for somebody else. That's how you, you prepare for leadership as you serve. The servant of all is the greatest. So you <clears throat> head in that direction. So I just had a desire to do it. And I knew God, I, I really felt like God wanted me to do it, but it wasn't some calling, it wasn't some, you know, shining light knocks me off my horse. Kind of a deal. So, you can aspire to leadership. You can have a desire to do it, and that's okay. But then you do it, you do it correctly. So, verse 14. We're actually going to get to chapter 4. Mm-hmm. Look at this. You might have been right. We actually got through all the verses of chapter 2. Oh, did we just... You didn't get through all your commentary. I didn't get through all the commentary. <clears throat> so verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that so, to you so that if I delay, you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Who is the church to represent? Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus, and, and he finishes this chapter with saying, this is who Jesus was. I mean, he is divine. He's God. He's, he's, he's lifted up. He's, you know, he's magnified. He's, he's amazing. He's awesome. Well, if we are to represent that, then our lives should represent that. If it doesn't, it brings disgrace to, to God. It brings disgrace to the kingdom of God. I watched a video this last weekend, and I'm, I'm torn between between <clears throat> liking it for what it was and really despising it for how it ended. <laughs> Excuse me. I ate an Acapulco succession. I apologize. The film was a documentary about uh, Williston, North Dakota where the uh, fracking is going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was about, the, the name of the movie, the, the documentary was called The Overnighters. And what happened is when the, when the fracking began, what, you know, 10 years ago now, 
you know, actually a little bit less than 10 years ago, it boomed. All of a sudden, jobs everywhere. And they needed more men than they had opportunity, than they had people. And so people were moving there from all over the world, literally. I mean, really, there's people from all over the world moving there. In the documentary, they, these guys went to do a documentary on Williston, on the boom, on the people. And they started looking for stories. And the story that they, that they settled on was a church. A church that had, where the pastor had decided that um, we're going to open the doors. Because they needed places to stay. They're, the hotels immediately filled. Any empty house immediately filled. Campgrounds filled. Um, people were parking on the street, sleeping on the street in their cars. Um, they had the, the town of Williston passed an ordinance immediately. You can't park on the street and sleep in your car overnight. So now they had nowhere, you know, now where do you go? Um, there were no bathroom facilities. No, I mean, it just, it, all of a sudden there's this crisis. And this pastor said, well, we should open the doors. These people are in need. They're, they're guests in our community. We should open the doors. So he opened the doors of the church for men to sleep. Well, immediately the church was full. Hundreds of men were sleeping on floors and cots. And, and all of a sudden there were more, there were still more people coming than they could fit in the church. So then he opened up their parking lot for them to park overnight and sleep in their cars overnight. And through the process, and, and, and where, when the, the video or when the, the documentary came into it, was they were well into the process. So they had background checks. And in these background checks, um, the, uh, um, they would find out, you know, were they a thief, were they this, were they that, and then they would put restrictions on them. Okay, you know, here's the deal. I'll let you stay out in the parking lot, but I can't let you stay in the church, you know, because the other men need to feel safe and, you know, so on and so forth. So they had, they had restrictions. Well, then during the, the documentary, um, there was a woman who disappeared uh, from the community. And she ended up being killed. She had been, she had been uh, sexually molested. She, she, they found her dead. They found two guys, two of the, the wildcatters, who had, they, they charged them with the attack and found out that they had, that they were sexual predators from a different country, different part of the country, different part from the U.S. that had not registered when they came to Williston. So then the, 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 the papers went nuts. How many more of these guys are in our town? Because they weren't, you know, they're not the, the cream of the crop. They're not the, you know, they're not the doctors and lawyers of the United States. I mean, these guys are the one, you know, they, they said, we don't have any work back home. We have nothing. You know, our families are back home and we just, we've not worked for years or whatever. And we, we heard there were jobs. We came here to work and they found work. They, they found good work, good money. But they didn't have any infrastructure. So then he started doing background checks and found out that some of the guys staying at the church were sexual predators who hadn't registered. Um, then he started making decisions about, well, I can't leave you, let you be at the church because the church people are freaking out. And so why don't you come and stay at my house? And so then he moved him into his house. Well, then the neighbors found out that he had sexual predators living next to him in, in the pastor's house. And, and he started to make these decisions that were just really bad decisions. And I'm sitting there, I'm getting frustrated because I'm like, 
don't you see what you're doing to yourself, to the church, to your family? I mean, so here's this good intention that turned into a mess. I mean, it just turned into a total mess. And he was lamenting the fact that the city wouldn't help, and everybody else was lamenting that he kept doing this, even his own congregation. The congregation went from over 150 or 100 to 150 down to about 20 because they didn't want to be a part of it, and, and so and they wouldn't. Li- he wouldn't listen to them. They were saying, "You, you got this. Is not good. The way you're doing this isn't safe." And he said, "Well, we got to help them." So every night he'd open the doors, and they would come, and and just and all of a sudden it blew up. The whole thing blows up. So I'm I'm watching this video, and I'm understanding ministry is messy. Ministry is is it's you know you're not. Like Jesus said, he didn't come for the, the, the well. He came for the sick. And he hung out with the prostitutes and the, 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 the thieves. and the, you know, He hung out with those folks. And so you look at that and go, okay, how does that still fit in today? So it's, it was a very good documentary. And it's, it's, a, it's a real discussion of what does it mean to minister to the hurting, to the mess, to the you know to something that's a mess. So that part is just fantastic. I mean, I'm actually enjoying. How does this work, and how do you make it happen? And he was making some really dumb decisions, which was frustrating. But you know, okay, he's human, and, and he really cares. You could tell he really cared about these men. And then all of a sudden, this happens. They 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 break away from the the regular order of how the the. The uh, um, documentary was going, and they show him sitting at an abandoned farm, and he's sitting in this abandoned uh, uh, barn with no roof, and the windows were knocked out, but it had been done for years. So he, he just—it was like a shell of a barn, and he's just sitting in the doorway, looking out over the open field, and the sun is setting, and he's just shaking his head, and you're thinking, "What does this have to do with?" All this, he goes. I'm just. I, I'm. I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And he's sitting there for a moment, and he goes, "I never thought it would come to this. I don't know how I'm going to tell my wife. The person who's been blackmailing me for 20 years is going to make it public." about the affair. And you just, you just, you sit there and you're going, what? Are you, what's, you know, you're trying to figure out, so here is this study of this amazing test of what does it mean to be a Christian and, and you're, you, get, you, know, you get really involved in it and all of a sudden it just, everything implodes. Everything including the church, his family, Everything implodes because he had an affair. Well, that can happen anywhere, and it has happened. Look at it. Look what happened to you know. I mean, for what for what anybody thinks of or agrees or disagrees with Jim Baker, the guy the guy had built an amazing outreach opportunity. And I couldn't stand the guy. I couldn't stand that he cried every you know every time every day on the camera. And it was it was always about send money or we're going to shut the, shut the cameras off. 
Mm-hmm. And then he'd start crying. Well, that just annoyed the crap out of me. Sorry. It really annoyed me. And he was, I know people who got saved in the, under that ministry. I know people who, you know, my grandmother was, was deeply touched by his ministry. All these things, all these people, I mean, really, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people across America were influenced by that ministry. And in one day, the whole thing blew up. And not only blew up and imploded that ministry, but it rippled throughout Christianity. I mean, that was about the time I was coming back to the Lord. And it, was in 19, it was 1987, 86, 86, 87, when that all happened. I know a guy. Remember Jim Baker on that line? Mm-hmm. But, but it wasn't just about the affair. Then they started, then they started to in, uh, uh, study out, uh, investigate. They started to investigate how they, excuse me, <clears throat> how they handled the money. And that then, every ministry started to be criticized about how the money was handled. I know a leader of a ministry that was fired by an accusation. He didn't do anything wrong. We had the we had the financial proof in hand that every decision he made, the board okayed. He didn't spend a penny outside of the outside of the the norm, and yet someone from the community accused him of mishandling funds and the board had to let him go. I was working for that ministry at the time. He was my best friend at the time. The guy that the guy that got me into ministry. He goes, I, I'm just going to retire. I'm just going to uh, resign. He says, I just to save the ministry because we already had donors at the time, big donors who were saying, we don't want to give our money there if he's still there. And he didn't even do anything. Didn't do a thing. It was an accusation. So. When, it, when he's talking about qualifications for ministry, it's not a little thing. You know, you have to be above reproach. And, and what you, the decisions you make have to be above reproach. That's why for us, you know, for here at the church, the finances are gone over with fine-tooth combs by people outside of the ministry. We have, we have an accountant who gets every, he sees everything that, that Deb sees. Deb, Deb sees, you know, is the accountant. She, she's the one who, who does the offering, inputs the offering, pays the bills, does everything, chunk, chunk, chunk. She does the work of it. But we have an, a, a CPA who gets every single piece of paper she gets, he gets. And he can look over it anytime he wants. He can drop in. The other day he calls up and he goes, he goes uh, hey, I'm going to stop in. And Debbie immediately goes, okay. She gets nervous, you know, okay. And he gets here and she goes, um, well, what is it you're looking for? He goes, no, I'm just going to take a look. He says, get out of here. He says, he says but I, he stops in. He just stops in when he, when he, it doesn't have to warn. I mean, he says, I'm coming over. We have another member of the church. Who I'll tell you who it is after, but I don't, I don't want it on the recording. I don't want to stop it. But she has all the passwords of every financial computer that we have. Every account, every anything, she can come in. She used to be an accountant for a company here in, in the, the valley. 
She can come in anytime she wants. She doesn't have to even tell us she's coming in and check the books. You do things above board. You do it so clean you don't, that there's no hint because all it takes is one situation. It takes one moment to lose all credibility. And, and it isn't just about my credibility. It's about the gospel. It's about the kingdom. That's why it's really frustrating to, to hear about ministries that, that want to cut, cut corners. And I actually went to a conference one time where, where an accountant was telling pastors, well, you know, you can do this. It's legal. I'm thinking, I don't care if it's legal. It just doesn't smell right. You know, I don't... Why put yourself in that position? Why do that? It's just, it's doing things like it, like it says here, doing everything above board. Um, you know, it's, it's the reason you, you, do, you do things in, you know, in such a way, you just live your life in such a way that it doesn't, there's no reproach. You just, it doesn't give room for a pro- reproach. And that's why whenever any kind of sin, any kind of crossing over with that, that, that I, you know, uh, my attitude stinks, my, my, my motivations aren't quite right, God deals with me severely because all it takes is one mistake. All it takes is somebody <clears throat> perceiving that what you're doing is wrong, and it, it can it 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 undermines the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's that that's horrifying, absolutely horrifying. So, Paul is putting those rules in place for a reason. We're supposed to follow them for a reason, and you know, you just do what you got to do. Yeah, can I get one quick take? Absolutely. Quick take on uh, growing up Catholic, we had male priests. Yep. Agree, disagree, anything. I don't know, or two. Your thought on male priests and no female priests? Oh, like, like I said before, I believe that half of the body of Christ gets their hands tied behind their back because they're female. There are women who are amazing teachers. Amazing teachers. Um, we have, I mean, Pastor Karen. I mean, to say that there, that there has to be a, a man as the children's pastor here, because that's just the way it needs to be. It's foolish. She's the best children's pastor I've ever seen in my life. Why would you want second place? <laughs> you know, I mean, and I'm not just kidding. I mean, I'm not just saying it because she's my friend or that, you know, you might get back to her. She literally is the best children's pastor I've ever met. So why would you, why would we want to just put a man in there just because he's a man? You know, I want the best person for the job. <clears throat> so, I mean, who who would want who would say that no you know um, Joyce Meyer Joyce Meyer should sit down and her husband should be the one up there teaching? <laughs> no, I mean she's the one who's anointed. I mean, you know, there's some things that I would actually like to see Deb doing more. She, on the other hand, is like, no way, I'm not doing that. And that's fine, that's her deal. But she's amazingly gifted. I mean, she's. In, you know, even in speaking, maybe she's not super polished, but the wisdom she has, and the you know, when when she gets up and does say something, it's powerful, it's real stuff. So, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, there are reasons the Catholic Church did that, and it isn't always because it was a spiritual reason. Even the non-marrying stuff, 
really is not because it was spiritual. The reason that they they forbid priests to marry back when it happened, because at the beginning they were they were married, all the priests were married. But what happened is the church kept having more and more influence into Europe. Mm-hmm. That people started giving more and more. They started getting richer and richer. I mean, they were building those huge uh, churches and the ones that are museum pieces. Oh, I mean, there were in 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 relative terms billions and billions and billions of dollars invested <clears throat> that people gave because the, the church I mean people were truly getting saved and they were truly being apart so there was all kinds of money well then there got to be all kinds of land that the church held and so what happened was is that local noblemen would would put their son through becoming a priest because the priest is the one who decided what how the land was used so, so they would power there's so there was power so they so these noblemen were getting their priests or their sons in as priests and bishops and because of the power and so finally when when the church went through one of its reformations well before uh, well before um, Luther because Luther was celibate until he broke away from it but hundreds of years before Luther they finally realized, wait a second, you know, this is becoming, they're, they're, we're, our priests are not even spiritual, it's a, it's a business thing. So they said, okay, that's it. We're going to make some rules. Uh, you can absolutely be a priest, but you have to be celibate and take a vow of poverty. <laughs> Any self-respecting son who's going, my dad's man, I ain't doing that. It, it helped clean up the church for a while there, yeah. you know. Um, but, but that was that's the reason that they went to be you know, having the priest being celibate was to to try to weed out the the graph that was going on in the church, and that then it caused a whole other set of problems. So, okay, thanks. Yep. Okay, chapter four. We'll start heading somewhere, some some way through then. Now the spirit, verse one. Now the spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth for everything created by God is good and nothing is rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So right there is one of the verses that it says that through the insincerity that, that deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars who forbid marriage. Well, um, wait a second, folks. <laughs> you know, any, any Christian group that says, no, you can't get married, they apparently haven't read that verse. That's right there. You're not the. I don't like it very much when you call it a doctrine of demons. <laughs> I know it. And, and I'm not anti-Catholic. I think there are all kinds of believers that are that are you know Catholics that are believers. There are priests that are believers that are that are truly born again. That's awesome. I'm not against that. But the the practices of the Catholic Church have not always been biblical. This is one of them. The, the celibacy is not a biblical 
you know, Paul said, Paul said, um, you should be a husband of one wife. You should have a wife. Uh, and when I when I was talking to this friend of mine, and I was talking about, you know, I really think I'm supposed to be in the ministry. And he says, well, he says, you know, you're not married. And he says, I really think you need to be married. I said, well, you know, the Bible says that there are eunuchs. And he goes, John, let me, let me ask you a question. Do you like women? And I went, yes. And he goes, then you're not, then you're not supposed to be celibate. Oh, okay. Well, that was easy. So, in the end times, I mean, there, there's been heresy all the way along. And that's why Paul is saying, you need to stay there, Timothy. You need to be there, teach sound doctrine. The church has been fighting heresy from day one. Doctrines of demons. You know, and they've been weeding those things out. And, and you know, at times they've had to make some some choices that then led to problems. You know, the you know, the Catholic Church for the first hundred, two hundred years was awesome. I mean it was you know, until until Constantine made it the state religion of Rome, it was live and vibrant and it was it was the church. But then when it became when it became culturally acceptable and then they started to make compromises that's where the problem came in. Anytime the church becomes culturally relevant, or not culturally re- relevant, culturally acceptable, it loses its power. Many churches today have made themselves culturally acceptable and they've caused themselves to be irrelevant for the kingdom. We are to be, by nature, counterculture. We are by nature. Jesus said, "If you know, don't be surprised if they persecute you. If we're not being persecuted, then there's a problem. And, and maybe we don't feel it every day. Like right now, we're not, we're not dealing daily with persecution. But tell somebody what the truth of the word is. Pick a subject. Abortion. You know, you, you, you say something about abortion... And you will have somebody down your throat real quick. Uh, quicker for the gay thing. Or homosexuality. But we talk about that all the time, so I don't want to keep, you know. Yeah. But, you but know. Yeah, it's kind of topic du jour, you know. Right. Seems to be coming with more and more ferocity. Faster and faster. So, all kinds of social issues. If we don't stand on those. And, and what is the argument, even within churches? Well, let's be more, let's be more sensitive to other people's beliefs. And then maybe we'll be more accepted. Well, yeah, you will be more accepted because now you don't, you're no different than than they are. We are to stand differently. We are to stand with a, with a, you know. And Paul is saying here, we're supposed to be that sword that divides between truth and lie. And it's not us. It's the Word of God. We just, we just use the Word of God to be, to be, um, to be truth. And when it's truth. It will it will be it will be a lightning rod for persecution for trouble. All right, verse six. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. So he's telling them this is what this is what you're supposed to be teaching that you don't divide or don't depart from the faith, don't depart from the truth. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. 
being trained in the words of faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and and also for the life to come. There were a couple different times he talks about in Timothy about some of these silly ideas. One of them was is is the idea of back then it was um, genealogies. They were trying to figure out who's related to who and who's related to Jesus and who's related to John the Baptist and who's related to you know spiritual people of the day and. I mean, we know that from other archaeological finds, other writings, that that was some of the stuff that was going on at the time, that people were considering spiritual. And today, there's a lot of people teaching. I mean, have you ever just flipped on uh, an inspirational TV channel and listened to what some people are teaching? I mean, they're not teaching the gospel. It isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation, the good news of of the hope of our salvation, of of what salvation is, because you know you might think, well, how many sermons can you can you preach on salvation? It's unlimited, because salvation is the most important topic, because salvation isn't just not going to hell. Salvation is the restoration of the way things were supposed to be. And that's what we've been talking about. And what I've been preaching on Sunday mornings the last couple of months is talking about what is it like to be a child of God? What does that mean? What does it mean to be the sons of God? Because that's salvation. Salvation is a restoration of who we were supposed to be at creation to where we are, to what we should be living that way now. How did Adam live for whatever period of time between creation and the fall? That's the way we're supposed to be living. How did Jesus live for 32 years? We need to be back into the Gospels, reading what Jesus said, how he lived, what he did. And we, as we read those things, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Can I add one thing? Absolutely. So I went to the Canada Church when I was home last. Mm-hmm. The priest, like the first thing he said was, you know, do the opening and pastor or father, what's the name speak? Let us call the mind our sins. And I think, well, wait a minute. I'm not a sinner. God doesn't look at me that way. I know I have sinned, but we come to church. Let come to church here. Once you're born again, you're no longer a sinner. Right. We are. We have the privilege of being kind of righteous. Mm-hmm. We should be thankful. Hey, it's all, you know, a party. I mean, it's... Don't get the mindset, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is, like I say, we should be grateful for what we have been grafted into. Mm-hmm. A totally different outlook of you know the gospel what it's supposed to be so yeah I don't understand that but except I wish they you know maybe more people come to Catholic Church if they're a little happier <laughs> hey we have to live like we're garbage and, you know like we're the you know bunch of sinners saved by grace mm-hmm. you know there's a whole different way of looking at it yep, yep. Anyway. we're now saints yeah I mean, not all ministers on, on TV are bad. I mean, nope. there are some that are really... Sure. But you, you have to decide which are the ones that are preaching right out of Scripture. And, 
preaching about salvation. Which um, which ones are preaching the gospel? Well, now like Reverend Stanley, you know he's a Baptist. Oh um, yeah, yes he and is. Lord, he tells you. I mean, he, he's I don't know. Now listen up. He's about eighty, whatever. He's holding out to the pulpit. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think he really preaches. Well, because you know? mm-hmm. um, Sean, he it, it just depends. Now he's he's the fire and brimstone one and preaching about revelations. Mm-hmm. And you hardly ever hear a lot of ministers talk on revelations. And he's one that has that down pretty path. Mm-hmm. Too, I think Pastor John was talking about uh, ministers who go off evangelistically. So there's some that kind of hit the nail on the head and they kind of go off and be in path for a little while and come back, and, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think one was talking about the, this is one example of forbidding to marry as a, as a doctrine of demons. There's a whole bunch of others. Oh, that's, tons of them, yeah. That's what, when the church tries to conform itself into a more popular form, that's what usually happens is they've adopted these these opinions and stances on certain things that basically become their doctrine that they might have the, the right doctrine in there too but when you add all these other things onto it you, you lose the, the right focus and you, and you can't really defend all of it mm-hmm. when you have these other things added into it so. mm-hmm. yep. and, and there were a lot of groups it wasn't just you know, and we're not, cause we're not picking on the Catholic Church it wasn't just that. There were a lot of groups who were forbidding to marry. They, they said that anything carnal was against the spirit of God, and so they were they were they were they were taking vows of poverty. And, they, and it wasn't just the Catholic Church did some of that later, but these guys were doing it well before anybody was organized, before it was officially organized, and so on. So there, there was a lot of people doing all kinds of goofy things, you know, uh, yeah, historically. All right. Let's see if we can get a little bit further. Almost. How much further? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't think we're going to make it, but. Um, verse 9. This The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this we end, or to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. So, up until now, he's saying, don't get into this mess. Don't get in. Don't worry about this stuff. Teach, Tell people not to, to study after this. He finally starts to say, command and teach these things. Um, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the, set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation. Exhortation is a big word that just says, hey, you can do this stuff, guys. Believe this and let's go. We can get there. And to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So bottom line, it was, this is what you teach, it's the Word. And I hold up my calendar and my TV and everything. It's also my Bible. It's, it's got to be the Word. It's got to be the Word. It's, it's the Word of God. 
that is going to change life. It's the Word of God. It, we, if, we, if we're teaching anything else, we're wasting our time. And he's telling, tell, telling Timothy, teach the Word, preach, uh, exhort, encourage people to live this way. Use that as the basis. Salvation, Jesus Christ, um, living a life. The, salvation is sozo, uh, the, the life of God, the salvation of God. We teach those things, we'll never go wrong. We can't go wrong, because that's the truth. So when we start teaching the other stuff, you know, and you can name, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to point fingers tonight, but, you know, there's all kinds of goofy stuff being, te- positive, being thinking. positive thinking. Yeah, that was a biggie in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Who taught that? Schuler, Schuler, Peel, and Schuler, and so even there, there is a scriptural principle. It's a scriptural principle, but and it's the overemphasis on a principle, a principle. I would even say almost an obscure principle. I mean, there is positive thinking. We do think, you know, faith is we put our mind on things that are true and holy and pure and all those things, and we think on these things. And but by having faith and believing, they happen. But what's if you never get anything else, the the life of God, teaching salvation, teaching the, who Jesus was, all those things, you cannot go wrong. You just can't because it's it is the word. So, I think the one thing that angers me probably more than anything is when people will use the credibility of the gospel. To back up their teaching, and then they go off in their own direction on something that isn't specifically <laughs> endorsed by the Word of God, mm-hmm. and and they'll use the Bible as a punchline more than more than anything, and and it's almost as if you have to challenge the Bible in order for you to challenge them, and I don't think that's right at all. It, it just when I see that, it just angers me. And it, I don't like that my response is that I just get angry <laughs> about it. And usually have to kind of spend some time to, to put words to what it is about the specific thing that bothers me. But, yeah. That's something I, I don't like because there's some people that can't tell the difference. Right. And they, they assume this person is speaking truth to them and they're not. And they have the... the credibility of what is true kind of lumped in and and you're attributing to them a greater level of truth than they actually are delivering mm-hmm. yep. so we did get chapter chapter four awesome actually we're back on track <laughs> we're caught up we get through your notes all for four yep so, hallelujah. Let's uh, pray and then we will dismiss. Father, thank you. Thank you for truth. Not just because we say it's truth, but because you're, you say it's truth. Not just because we're doing what we think is right, but Lord, according to your word, we, we, we use that as the plumb line. We use that as the standard. What is truly truth. What is truly life. Father, we, we humbly come before you and, and submit our lives. When, you, when looking at the requirement of leadership and the requirement of 
of a holy life. We, we submit those things to you, Father. And we ask you, Lord, to, to root out anything that is in us that is, is off, that's wrong, that's sin. Father, thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you, Lord, that we are no longer sinners saved by grace. We are saints. We, we have the life of God in us. But Lord, help us to live that way. Help our flesh to come in line with that truth that, that uh, we are saved. Thank you, Lord, for this week. Safe driving for everybody tonight and throughout the week, keeping us uh, with all these weather-related uh, things. And uh, bring us back next week, ready to move on to the next part. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.